the South African textile industry was booming for so many years. And we were one of the main like countries that were exporting and then creating things locally in the world. And how many of those have closed down? How many even people have lost their jobs because of that? And all the means, all the force, all the intelligence and labor forces are here to kind of put all of that potion together to create something magical. And I'm just like, our kind of dream is now that so many local brands actually come together to kind of, even if it's on a smaller scale, bring that back. Hello and welcome back to another episode. My name is Stephanie and Elfie here with me, the co-host. Today we are speaking to another female duo. So if you've been following along the journey, we've recently just also recorded with another female duo within kind of the same space, sustainable fashion. But this is going to be interesting because the, the previous episode we recorded was with two female owners of a boutique platform that curates different suppliers and makers of sustainable fashion, brings it together so that you as the community can find the people you want to shop from. The people we're speaking today, or the two females we're speaking to today, they are actually more involved in the end-to-end process. What I mean by that is they are actually part of the manufacturing process, really getting down to the ground in the detail of who they choose as suppliers, manufacturers, and all of those details. Alfie and I are so stoked about this conversation, but uh, just to give you guys a brief intro, we are speaking to Shan and Kirst, and welcome to the show, guys. Thank you. Thanks so much for having us. Maybe to kick us off. So the collection or the, the brand that you guys have is called Born to Dust, right? Where does the name come from? Um, Shad, can you maybe tell us what is behind the name? Born to Dust, well, I mean, kind of like two of our favorite times of day. We, when we launched the brand, we wanted to, we wanted to be a platform for so much more than just clothing. Um, and it's that space and we decided that something that's like very special to us sunrise and sunset and this golden beautiful hue of light and yeah that's kind of it tied into like the lifestyle aspect of what we as individuals we kind of um have a very holistic way of living and we kind of wanted to create a brand that embodied and encapsulated that sort of way of living into how we create our products and kind of reflect on the um people that are ultimately going to become part of our community and buy our products so yeah it was kind of just a nice way Mm, to tie in nature lifestyle and yeah our favorite times of the day that's really cool because uh you know you just mentioned the especially like you say the colors of the day and when I was doing a bit of research and just looking at your brand and all the the pages they are you know it's all a lot about the natural light not just the way you guys position your your clothing but also uh the fabrics you choose and kind of the color scheme that you guys are going for it's very natural right it's uh so it really does tie into the name very interesting yeah we essentially wanted everything to be a part of your day from like dawn until dusk and mm-hmm. especially enough as well shan's second name is dawn so there was a little okay. bit of a play on <laughs> names and everything there and we've both been given like funny nicknames from like family and friends like mm-hmm. i've been called sunny sun before and shan's been sun bailey so like the sun element um also yeah both of us absolutely loving summertime so there was yeah, a lot about just the sunshine and earthiness and yeah thankfully mm-hmm. shan's second name also tied yeah. into it beautifully mm-hmm. <laughs> that's amazing um, so, look, I think there are a lot of people out there, especially creative people who've who've kind of had the dream of getting into the fashion space and, and working with clothing. But I think very often it sort of turns out to be the situation of, you know, you get a pre-made piece of clothing, you put a brand on it, and then you try to sell that on some kind of e-commerce website. But you guys have kind of taken a little bit more um, thorough approach to it. And I'm really hoping that we can we can we can dive into that and maybe try to explore some of the things that that um, that drove that decision. But maybe before we do, can you tell us a little bit about how you actually got to the point where you started to think about doing this? Like, what were you guys doing before um, working on this brand together? And how, how did you kind of like come um, come to it? And maybe, um, Kirsty, you could maybe um, 
to chat a little bit first about your 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 experience previously, and then Chan, maybe you could tell us a little bit about how the two of you kind of connected initially. Yeah. So um, yeah, I was at Stellenbosch for a couple of years and finished my postgrad, and then joined the arts. I had quite a few friends that had gone over there and wanted to travel, and just had this idea of just taking a bit of time off instead of going straight into the working world. Mm-hmm. And was in yachting for a year and a half, um, in between that doing quite a bit of traveling. Mm-hmm. And then in that time, I actually hadn't seen Shan at all. So Shan and I have been friends since we were very young. Um, both of our parents moved from other places and moved down to Plate. So we've known each other since we were seven and eight. Wow. Uh, so just been friends nice. forever. And yeah, Shan had actually also been in yachting. So that side of our story is quite similar. And sure. we started chatting about how we both really wanted to do our yachting, uh, our yoga instructors after yachting and end up meeting up in Bali. And actually, while we were there, it's interestingly enough that you bring up the idea of buying clothing, putting a logo on and then selling it. I think mm-hmm. before we had actually dived in, you know, we had this idea of like sustainability and what it was and wanting to create something and conversations did start while we were over there just about wanting to leave yachting, what we wanted to do and all the rest of it. And while we were over there, the initial idea was more about that kind of sourcing, being in Bali with there being so much manufacturing happening with the clothing and jewelry, that side. We did actually start chatting, okay, well, maybe what we could do is go to these beautiful countries, fill up a suitcase and come and sell it here in South Africa. Like they're stunning (laughs) things, the cost is minimal. And interestingly enough, we then almost got back and we were like, wait, why would we do that? (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. there's no, you know, we kind of dived more into the sustainable side of things. And so many people are already doing that. Why not create something that's personal to us, clothing we really enjoy? And Mm -hmm. maybe also the curiosity of like starting from the beginning, the process from the beginning and trying everything. Mm -hmm. Um, And the more the conversations happened, the more it came up that we also wanted to start some kind of community. So to provide jobs in our Plettenberg Bay, like local community and potentially have our own group of ladies that do our sewing. And yeah, so that's kind of how that all started and came about. Mm -hmm. And the more you research, I guess, into how a lot of these Mm -hmm. places, the clothing is made and going down that avenue, we just realized that it's so much better to support local. We're then providing Mm -hmm. a handful of people jobs this side and not having any fashion experience, which I don't know if I should probably openly admit. <laughs> um, it also, <laughs> you know, it was just one of those things where we got to then learn the process mm. from the start to the finish and actually be fully involved. And it was a whole different skill set. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, which yeah. is also just a very exciting avenue to go down. And um, yeah. So yeah, Shan can tell you about, about her history and then also add on to that. <laughs> Otherwise, I'll try forever. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we did. We ended up in Bali and it was such a beautiful time. And I think after when I left Selimbash, as well, I didn't quite know if I wanted to carry on studying or what I wanted to do and ended up yachting. I thought I'd be there for about a year. And four years later, I got completely and utterly sucked in. <laughs> and yeah, it came to the point where... Yeah, we had this conversation, ended up in Bali, and it just was. It was really beautiful to have time and space to sit back and be like, what do we actually want to do? And like Chris mm. said, just the responsibility of creating something and who's involved and how you can actually create something that is meaningful and mindful and slow and, you know, products that actually make an impact for the good. And, yeah, it's not actually taking away from the people creating them or from Mother Nature or anything like that. And yeah, the sustainability fashion world is an absolute rabbit hole that we've been down multiple yeah. times. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's so many elements to it. It's so multifaceted and there's so many um, roots of being sustainable or even deconstructing the word in itself, you know, and trying to figure out how we as a brand want to be um, kind of helping and contributing to this sustainable concept. And mm-hmm. I think community was the biggest part of that. You know, we ended up through you know, a very interesting journey being starting mm. in Cape Town and obviously having to learn about every aspect of it. And like you said in the beginning, there's so many different elements to the process, which we are still learning about. And it's such an incredible process. But mm-hmm. there's no, when you are kind of diving into the sustainable avenue, there's so many steps along the way that you could miss out. Um, mm-hmm. If you want to make money quickly or, you know, try and get ahead of the game. But we kept having to come back to our core ethos of, this you know what are we doing why are we creating this who is involved you know who can we help and yeah so that's kind of been the most incredible part of constantly taking a step back and slowing things down 
mm-hmm. and just making sure that you know the women that are we working with at the moment are the most incredible group of people and they're so talented and mm-hmm. ultimately they're bringing our vision to life and they're so part and parcel of our entire company and we have to pay homage to that and our natural fabrics is the same thing you know using natural fabrics or natural fibers and not synthetic so you're not actually adding to the problem you are in a minor way you know adding to this beautiful sustainable route of it is it's like 100% linen it's biodegradable you're not actually creating waste and we have mm-hmm. cycles so there's so many avenues that we can use in order to kind of uphold our ethos yeah and yeah it's i mean it is it's a constant learning curve and there's always um it's a lot of stumbling along yeah, the way so much mm-hmm. stumbling but i think that just having that sort of core um belief that you you know we are creating something incredible with alongside so many incredible people Mm-hmm. And even joining the collaborative space, there's so many incredible people, like you're saying, the host of your last podcast, you know, there's so many people that are doing incredible yeah. things. And we're now linking all these people together in order to create something because you don't always have to be doing something by yourself. You know, everyone's mm-hmm. got their own strengths and visions. And when you actually have a common cause and you're coming together over that, there's so much beauty in collaboration. So, hmm. yeah. yeah. Um. So, I think there's something very interesting about what you guys are doing, because one of the things that I do see in the space of sustainability and not just in fashion, just in general, what what tends to happen is it can very easily become a finger pointing type of thing or a I'm I'm better than you type of thing. And what can end up happening is instead of actually contributing to the solution, it becomes almost like a blame game. And what I think is really amazing about what you guys did is that, you know, you sort of were veering towards the same way that normal, like if the um, everybody sort of tries to do it, but then you decided to actually go and, and build <clears throat> from the ground up, both in terms of the business, but also in terms of the, the actual process. And I think that's maybe if there's one thing that'll be valuable about this conversation, it'll be sort of walking through what that process actually looked like, because I think there are many people who from an ideals perspective would like to follow what you're doing, but when they consider it, it seems like, you know, a mammoth task that's almost impossible to do successfully. So one of the things I'd like us to do is maybe speak a little bit about those early stages when, when, you know, you sort of had this idea, you had this dream, but you hadn't really done anything yet because, you know, by the time a piece of clothing actually shows up on Instagram or shows up um, at, at the customer's door, so much work has gone into it. So can you, can you maybe share a little bit, um, on, from your side, Shan, like what, what were, what were the first few things that you guys had to do? Like, what was the first things you had to do to get to that big milestone of like your first finished product or your, you know, was it, um, setting up the fact, like the, the, the production process, like what did, what did it look like when you actually yeah. decided, okay, we're going <laughs> to do this? What did you even do? Because I'm just thinking, you know, <laughs> neither of you came from a fashion background. Now you come back to South Africa from Bali and like, cool, we're going to make clothes, right? Is there a, like a, you know, the dummies book range? Is there like a hard to make clothing for dummies book? Is there like blog posts and resources? <laughs> Where do you even start? start? Yeah, yeah, they're they're really sure. they're probably, there probably is somewhere. We didn't dig deep enough. <laughs> but I think when we came back, we... I mean, it was during COVID, so it was we had a little bit of time and space to maneuver. And I mean, mm-hmm. I think that's what's so incredible is we have access to so much information. You know, mm-hmm. there's so much, so many resources online, and so many incredible people willing to speak to you. But when we first started, funnily enough, we actually talking about the sustainability route. We decided we kind of came across this whole idea of plant dyeing or bot- bot- botanical dyes and being completely sustainable, not using any toxins, dyeing our own fabrics, like eco-printing our own fabrics using alien species from like the coastlines of Pembroke Bay. And yeah. that was like our vision. We were like, okay, this is what we're going to do. It was a mammoth mm-hmm. task. It was <laughs> an absolute mammoth task. And we, we did. We had these giant pots and wow. we were dyeing our own fabric. And the process, I mean, just for one piece of fabric is about a three yeah. to five day process. And there's like about 20 steps to each one and you have to weigh all the different fabrics and use different mordants. And it's, it's a complete, I mean, it's an incredible, beautiful art, but it's, yeah, very, very complex. So Mm. 
I think we've just been so open to change and to allow the process to kind of organically unfold. So Mm -hmm. that's how we started. And we got to a point where we were like, this is a beautiful thing. And it's something that we'll continuously work towards. But Mm -hmm. for us, it's two, you know, four hands, two people. There's no ways that we can do this, like, from start to finish all by ourselves. And if we're honest, there's a lot of trust. We trusted the people that we asked for, like, advice. So we also know a couple of people in the industry and then Mm. seeked out who to work with in terms of our path making and grading. So we were like recommended people. um, And actually for like maybe a little bit of like detriment, but the first woman we worked with who was incredible with in so many ways, like teach us about the grading and pattern making process. And she helped us with our first like batch of production from start to finish. Um, Mm -hmm. But it was, it was just like we trusted the process and the people that we were working with Mm -hmm. and also like openly like entered into those relationships saying like, look, we have these ideas and I mean, we did, we would like sketch a little bit of the design, kind of find pictures of what we thought, take like samples of our clothing. Go, we, we want this with this. Um, you know, sorry, we don't have maybe all the technical skill, but we have these ideas. Please help us and teach us. So yeah, it was a lot of like trusting the people that we were working with. And also through that, it's allowed us to get to where we are by, you know, maybe by default a little bit, also finding the right team now that we work with mm-hmm. having, the right people helping us with our pattern making and grading, helping us find like Nolene and the ladies, which has all been through word of mouth, I would say, and like mm-hmm. speaking up about like what we wanted to do and being honest about like where we were in the process, but also what we could provide as two people with this like idea. Mm-hmm. Um, finding links. Yeah, so, finding links. Like yeah. I said earlier, there's so many incredible people doing so many incredible things and, you know, bringing everyone together into a space where, everyone's benefiting because you know like the pattern maker we Mm -hmm. had no experience in doing that and it's an incredibly technical process it's i Mm -hmm. mean we still mind blown Mm -hmm. by the amount that goes into it and how complex it is to actually create something that's perfect Mm -hmm. um so yeah we found an incredible cmt and along the way they were so cut make trim so basically (laughs) the person that does all our production so Mm -hmm. yeah does all the pattern making and um no sorry we do through yeah the 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 technical work the seamstress Mm -hmm. um we were actually laughing the other day i was saying it's so funny like you learn all these things along the way and we now throw out terms which a couple of years ago we had no idea what means what they make either so even that it's just there's so much to learn and it's an like ever evolving process but I think mm-hmm. also just being open to it, you know, That's and open to change and mm-hmm. open to learning and then also giving back. So we find it so incredible to share the knowledge that we have learned along the way and, you mm-hmm. know, about the process. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think what's also incredible is the our, like, beginning goal when we thought about it. We were like, it'd be so incredible to have our own team and to create, like, a whole platform for empowerment and upskillment and, you know, work with an incredible group of ladies that have the technical ability to, you know, bring this vision to life. And because of the fact that we didn't quite have a full understanding of the process when we first started, mm-hmm. we kind of got laid off the track a little bit. And all of a sudden, mm-hmm. there was a block after a block, and we had mm-hmm. to reassess and be like, there's something missing here. Something's not quite right. Mm-hmm. And that's when we, yeah, we were introduced to Nolene, this wonderful woman in Franzok and Platenburg Bay, where we work um, now. Mm-hmm. And yeah, she had the same vision as us and everything was in alignment wow. from the first conversation mm-hmm. and the first mm-hmm. samples we had with her. It was like, okay, this is, this is where we need to be. You know, yeah. we can mm-hmm. make some magic here it's because magic. it's completely, it's the right people. And I think for her, she's such a pillar of support within her own community and just has this deep um, sense of faith and deep sense of like, you know, everything's going to come when it's supposed to come. Like good will come when, if I give good or if I'm, a good person and if I help out it'll eventually come back to me mm-hmm. and I think that's such a been such an incredible thing with our process is we've always tried to kind of uphold that sort of level of you know meeting people where they are and being open and honest and trying to create well approach every situation with kindness and authenticity I mean we yeah we don't always know mm-hmm. have the answers and we're always learning and we're always growing but you know um a kind of underlying motives are always yeah. pure. My intentions for our brand are genuinely good. I think it's interesting me enough as well. Fashion was such a default. It was almost like a flood. I don't think if you were to ask Shan and I like four or five years ago where we saw ourselves or what we saw ourselves doing. I mean, we both always loved 
clothing from like back in our high school like years going to that thrift phase and everything like we've always mm-hmm. enjoyed it and it's always been like a fun you know we've expressed ourselves i guess through mm-hmm. clothing and collecting like beautiful things but i mean it's so interesting even in terms of that i think when we think about our business model like fashion is almost like the means to do the other thing yeah. that you wanting yeah, to do yeah. <laughs> so it's almost been like two years of like learning about this entire process in mm-hmm. order to like help us create like the other things that we wanted yes. to do underneath yeah. the bracket of dawn to dusk which is it just it's just the means to do the thing that you want to do yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and through that but it ha- and it's an incredible yeah it's an incredible process and i mean even seeing working alongside people like nolene who i think have been a bit more like honest in terms of well not honest but allowing us to be about like able to see the whole process so actually being able to come to the studio space and like be there with them um, whereas beforehand we were dealing with like smaller, you know, same scale factories, but it was on a smaller basis where we almost weren't ever allowed to also see how the clothes were being made oh, or the conditions sure. where they were being made. And mm. um, we had like a woman that was almost the intermediate person who was doing our, like pattern making and grading, but she, and then she had her team of ladies and that was just, actually it was one lady who was doing quite a lot of the work and then she often had someone to help. Whereas I think also now, I mean, the learning that you also gain when you start working alongside people who allow you into the space and form part of it and you allow mm-hmm. to be more involved is also incredible. Yeah. Help that disconnect. Yeah. I mean, even now in terms of like quality and the production run, I think mm-hmm. working alongside, you know, Nolene, who's almost like the boss babe of her, the seamstresses, and then Shan and I coming in with like the designs and having outsourced our patterns, just being able to actually be behind the scenes again has yeah. been a massive yeah. thing. And I think for us also creating a transparent relationship. So being able to disclose how we how we create our products and why we create our products and who's behind them. Mm-hmm. You know, it creates a shift in the value of something. You, like you were saying, there's so many different elements in play all the time. There's so much that goes into it that I think sometimes we forget, you know, how incredible all something is and what, you know, what it actually entails. So I think by creating that shift in the process and allowing that transparency between us and our brand and the consumer, you are, you're shifting the value of something and people actually buy into the story and eventually it does. It becomes like an authentic extension of you as a person. So you buying into the brand, into your own, like it becomes a part of your whole world and your whole life. Mm -hmm. And you also understand that at the end of the day, when there is something, maybe like a slight flaw in the garment or Mm -hmm. something goes wrong or the process is delayed or, you know, something like that, that it is actual human beings behind it. You know, there's mm-hmm. actual, sure, actual sure, group yeah. of women that are physically making these beautiful <laughs> products for you. And literally piece by piece from the, from the first step to the last step, it's, you know, it's a completely beautiful, but time consuming experience. And mm-hmm. I think it does. It just allows you to appreciate the product so much more. Yeah. yeah. And I really like that you just brought that up around, you know, adding value to the purchase. Cause that's really two big overarching themes um i feel we are kind of talking about that i want to get into a little bit more and that's there's this whole sense of your brand being a community driven thing and how you incorporate that into the business model into the marketing into the way you guys make decisions and then there's the other element that keeps seeping through which is creating value Now, a few episodes ago, we also chatted to a guest called Jason Hobbs and we chatted to him and he, um, he specializes in information architecture, which is essentially, uh, making sense of information. And we specifically chatted to him about meaning making in today's world and how we globally seeing that consumerism as a whole obviously is um, very focused at the moment about um, as fast as you can consume single-use things, uh, trying to remove as much value from things, because as soon as we do that, it's easier to get rid of things, it's easier to buy new things, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a lack of meaning and value in a lot of the things that are surrounding us, not just the things that we are buying, but the things that we are consuming, the people we are surrounding ourselves with. And um, it's beautiful to see there's almost a bit of a shift happening in uh, brands that are emerging at the moment. And sustainable fashion is one way how we addressing this societal issue of bringing meaning back, bringing value back to our society and communities. And um, you, Shan, you were you were saying around you know 
being transparent we are almost embedding values into the garments. And that's such an interesting thing because you guys were also, you kept referring to when you were going through the process of how to do the manufacturing and how to actually get to your end product, you had to kind of take a step back and be like, okay, but is this our ethos? Is this our values? And you did a lot of reflection on what your values are and that's actually how this whole brand came about right it was the yoga teacher training and that yoga is all about reflection and you were actually just sitting there reflecting on your own values <laughs> and uh, it's just so beautiful <laughs> this little circle I'm getting, <laughs> I'm getting carried away now but <laughs> but um it's just uh it's so nice to also see um we are forcing or not we, actually you guys are also almost asking your customer. You're forcing your customer to also reflect upon themselves what mm -hmm. their values are. And the more mm -hmm. we as brands and the more we start doing that as consumers, we are going to start adding more value in general to our communities. Mm -hmm. We're going to start adding more value to our lives. And it's, mm -hmm. it's just so exciting. Um, yeah. So I don't know if you guys have anything to add around um, that and how you feel you are actually embedding the value into the garments. It's not just a piece of clothing. Maybe, uh, Kirstie, I don't know if you want to tell us about that. Well, I think it's so interesting. I mean, even through this process, I think consuming, people are always going to want to consume something. We've even at one point, we questioned, we're like, we're creating, even though it's all eco-friendly and we're trying to make as less impact on the planet as possible, we're still creating more stuff. And then we sat yeah. and we're like, okay, yes, we are. But it's so interesting you bring up the topic of like value because we're like, yes, we are, but people are still going to want to buy things. You know, we're not mm. going to completely eradicate consumption of like, the face of planet earth and then now everyone's going to just reuse what is around but how can we make that better mm -hmm. um and i mean i must say like how i think we add value with our garments is through it being solely revolved around also the ladies that are now making it mm -hmm. which i think you know it was a long-term idea for us i think when we first started there was a bit of a disconnect i think with that element whereas like now i think it being a group of ladies who are so closely linked to a community where we grew up and people who have been with us or like lived in our communities for many years um you know my grandparents even worked alongside nolene at one point wow. there's just you know, there's a lot of connection to sure. plet you know we have and plet oh. is one of our like most favorite places it's our home it's where people we love and i think the value is also in who's making it and mm -hmm. it's all these incredibly talented women that have all have worked in like factories and are, or like it's so interesting all of them have these stories of like working in these massive factories for like big brands and all the all the fast fashion brands and now they are in plate and able to create that kind of like high level of quality sure. and expertise but on a smaller mm -hmm. scale mm -hmm. um and yeah, I just, I think the intention that we have with the clothing, and it is more than the clothing, which is what, I don't know, I, of course, we kind of like reach this point where it's not just about the fashion, it's not just about the clothing, it's about the story behind, it's about our friendship is in the clothing, our, mm -hmm. um, the people we work with is in the clothing, this the podcast. designs, <laughs> this podcast, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> exactly, everything, it's, mm -hmm. it's not just about the dress, yeah, so... But I also think, I mean, like we said, we're so, we're so open to the fact that we are ever learning. There's always something evolving. There's always something changing. And I think there's so much guilt attached to when you don't know something or like with this industry, like we've learned so much and it's completely shifted our entire experience, mm -hmm. our entire perception yes. of clothing of actually multiple industries because you kind of understand the whole process. And I think for a lot of our consumers i think it's so it's so important for us to be able to relay that knowledge and also to almost eliminate that guilt factor to be like we want you to be part of this because it's a very special thing you know we want to create change constantly and create the shift and allow you to buy into something or buy into the industry that is sustainable um yeah, yeah it's just to remove that guilt complex because i think we didn't know before we also had no idea the extent of how you know how it's like a little challenge post barley. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly, yeah. too much, too much fresh air and too much meditation. And we're like, we can take on the wall. Chan and Chris yeah. are coming. Like, we mean, yeah. like, 
Um, but yeah. it's so possible for anyone. And there's a community. I mean, I think that's it. Like, I'll, there's a community that can back you in order to create something. And it's, yeah, just speak out and to reach out to the right people. And, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. it's, yeah, as airy fairy as it does sound, you know, everything does eventually come into alignment. Yeah. And what's meant mm-hmm. to be will be. And it takes a lot of time. It's not going to happen overnight. And we've learned that, mm-hmm. you know, we've literally, it's sometimes it feels like it's just started and sometimes it feels like it's been a lifetime, but sure. it does. There's so many beautiful yeah. moments along the way that we have to reflect on and realize why we actually are creating it. Mm-hmm. And it does. That community is a very special part of it. And I think it's something that we all need to every day reflect on and how our community is, mm-hmm. you know, how your people and not necessarily just the people buying something or, you know, your closest friends and your family from shops that you shop at you know mm. just shifting your whole experience the local chain yeah, the local chain local mm-hmm. supply chain and doing your utmost just to support the people around you and because mm-hmm. it is we have the power as a consumer you do have the power to make mm-hmm. those decisions and maybe not on a grand scale but your everyday you know going to local yeah. farmers markets or supporting local brands or you know support listening to local podcasts like whatever it is you know like what you guys have started such an incredible thing just mm-hmm. giving people a voice as well and exposing people to, you know, you never know who whose path you cross after you've spoken out. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it is. Mm-hmm. It really is mm-hmm. ties into that whole core essence of community. Yeah. So, so, I mean, with, sorry, with the research, do you want to ask a question? No, go for it. Go for I'd much it. rather be asked a question. <laughs> um, but it's also so interesting. The more research we've also done, we've realized, I mean, the South African textile industry was booming for so many years. And we were one of the main mm-hmm. pl- like countries that were exporting and then creating things locally in the world. And how many of those have closed down? How many people have lost their jobs because of that? And all the means, all the force, all the intelligence and labor forces are here to kind of put all Mm. that potion together to create something magical. And I'm just like, our kind of dream is now that so many local brands actually come together to kind of, even if it's on a smaller scale, bring that back. Yeah. I mean, I even think of our ladies. Half of them lived in Cape Town 25 years ago. They were part of that. And unfortunately... Um, things you know kind of imploded and they had to move away and they had to find jobs somewhere else mm-hmm. so yeah there is there's so mm-hmm. much opportunity here and south africa is as crazy as it is it's the most beautiful country and so diverse and there's so much you know so many talented people and so many excited people to get things moving so mm-hmm. yeah like you said everyone kind of collaborating and coming together over the common cause and it is yeah. there's so there's so much room for improvement mm-hmm. So there's there's one thing that I'd like to I'd like us to dive into a little bit because um being a part of a project that is a duo one of the things that tends to happen is like you you end up kind of like playing on each other's strengths I think now it's sort of gotten to the point where Steph and I know pretty pretty well like where I'm strong and where I kind of like <laughs> contribute to the team and maybe where I fall off a little bit and where Steph can kind of like support the process. So could you maybe um, each of you tell a little bit about um, Shan, maybe you could tell us a little bit about um, Kirsty. Like what do you think in your like dynamic <laughs> duo she brings to the table um, and then also the other way around? Well, I think it's such an interesting thing because like I said in the beginning, we've been friends for so many years, especially since mm-hmm. Chris was eight years old and I was seven years old. And I think it's such a beautiful process starting a business together because I've learned so much through Chris. You know, she's such an inspiring person, so made, motivated and so dedicated. And if I'm being very honest with you, very much, she's a powerhouse and I'm so lucky to work alongside <laughs> <I know>. her. <laughs> there it is too, you know, and I think... You do. And along the, especially because we are such close friends, we mirror things in each other and we learn from each other every day and mm-hmm. there's nowhere to hide. So I think it's such an incredible thing to actually step into something like this where there is so much room to learn. Mm-hmm. And I mean, for me, I've, you know, learned so much along the process and there's been so many shifts in my own personal world and professional world and, you know, just coming, kind of coming into the space and actually being able to learn from the person and, being, and allowing curse the space to navigate what she needs to navigate and me navigating what I need to navigate mm-hmm. and just allowing ourselves to find what we're good at. And I think also because we didn't understand industry or we didn't have um, much information when we started, it has been an ever evolving process. So, mm-hmm. you know, constantly along the way, we have to take steps back, like we said before. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, yeah, allowing both of us to come into our power, 
when we need to and you know there's different elements that come into play mm-hmm. yeah i think i'm incredibly lucky to work alongside someone that is so motivated and dedicated and yeah allows me to grow on my own terms and you know to learn and to yeah yeah and on the flip side <laughs> Um, well, Percy, as you can see, Shan's the poet of the day. <laughs> way better, way better with words. <laughs> way better with words. Um, me behind the camera lens as well. She's an incredibly gifted photographer. But pretty much exactly the same. I think it's been such an incredible journey just because we're so similar, which we often laugh about in so many ways. And then like every now and then that mirroring comes when there are like certain differences because as similar as we are, like our end like vision might be exactly the same. But mm-hmm. sometimes maybe like getting there can like differ. Um, mm. I mean, even up until now, like both of us have like really wanted to like learn and dive into every aspect of the business. So, you know, which people get shocked when we speak about it, and it's something now after being two years old, we just slowly navigating our different roles in the business. But we've actually pretty much done everything alongside and like split the responsibility half half in order to learn about like both aspects of the job. Mm-hmm. Um, and now slowly, like you said, our understanding like maybe what the different strengths and weaknesses are, what we prefer doing, or who, like you said, Jan's definitely better at copywriting. <laughs> um, and so there's like certain things that now are coming up that we're able to kind of channel our differences. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I actually think the strength is probably our friendship in businesses. Like I think that's wow. what we draw sure. on in order yeah. to get this wow. through. Because I mean, even at the moment, you know, we roommates, like best friends, yeah. like, you know, everything. And I think it's more that honest relationship and having that friendship that is probably the biggest thing mm-hmm. of the business. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. the biggest yeah. strength. Even if we don't always see eye to eye or we have different means of getting there, our mm-hmm. end goal is always mm-hmm. the same. Every time we come yeah. back, every time there's, you know, a side yeah. pickup or whatever it is, we know that we're both working towards the same thing. And I think that's such an incredible thing to know that we're both in alignment and even with our ladies, with our team, they're also in alignment. So just having that, like, mm-hmm. yeah, no matter what happens at the end of the day, yeah. we know that. We even have cup. to laugh about our, like, good cup, bad cup acts. And we have to, like, do serious business. Because, I mean, even with that, I mean, I think our, like, sense, we're both, like, relatively, like, sensitive people. So one of us has to be like, hey, you bad cops, dear, I'm good cop. And then you have to go in and, like, balance that. So it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Even, like, just finding those things, like, who's better in that moment, maybe like taking the lead and who isn't. And mm. I mean, I, I must say for us, we've been quite lucky. Like there's been obviously like moments where it hasn't been, a, doesn't come as naturally, but for us a lot of the time it ha- does come a lot more like naturally than I think what we even expected, which is really lucky. Um, yeah. yeah. I think Especially as, uh, like you said, you guys are two friends and you chose to live together, which some people might go flip, this is going to bomb out and fail completely, or it's just going to help the business because you're going to spend more time to get in anyway. But it can go either way, right? It can go very mm-hmm. sour or be very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we often do. We often speak about it. And we're mm-hmm. like, some, sometimes we don't know how it's going to happen, but we know deep down in our cause that like, good's going to come out of it. So what's communication? And I mean, it's interesting, even with that, I think where the similarities come in, I think it's to know if some, sometimes people who process things differently, like I think both of us are very much need our own space and then we'll communicate, but we both need to communicate in order to like fully figure out, even with like business dealings or things we like, we internalize, process, do it in our own like individual thing and then like come together and discuss. So it's also, I guess, just, you know, I'm sure the two of you realize like communication is such an important aspect of any, you know, partnership. And, like, and <laughs> I'll be what do you have to say. <laughs> just some good stories. One of us likes talking more than the other. Let's, let's just put it like that. <laughs> I was just going to say I think we also we're dealing with uncharted territory for both of us so yeah. sometimes mm. we both I'll feel so strongly about something and I could very much be wrong the next day you know and sometimes mm. I think you also just have to meet people where they are and meet people or meet yourself where you are at that point in time mm. and be open to the fact that you might feel strongly about something or you might, you know, it's ever evolving and it's ever changing. So just mm-hmm. being open to the fact that 
you don't always know what's best. Maybe the other person mm. knows what's mm-hmm. best. And, you know, maybe the next day it's the other way around. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, I think meeting people where they are. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that. Because last week I thought that uh, posts on Instagram is how we should be doing things. And then Alfie was like, well, maybe we should do reels. And then I changed my mind this morning. And now I think he was right, reels. I do want to get into what we kind of at the beginning uh, said as well, which is we've never spoken to people who are actually part of the manufacturing process and knows what it looks like. And we've spoken about such beautiful, valuable, insightful topics so far. But I really do want to hear a little bit about the technical side of what it takes to from the end to end to actually get the piece of clothing that I can see on your website. Like what is the process that happens to get to that physical product? And I don't know if there's one of you that's involved on that part of the process a bit more, one of you that would like to share with us all of the technical process details. So yeah, we both we both in it. But yeah, basically so like I said earlier, it starts with us conceptualizing something or designing mm-hmm. a piece, taking it to our pattern maker who ultimately creates a hard or a hard pattern or a master pattern. And what from does that there, mean? we sample that. So you bas- they basically draw out how you would cut the garment on cardboard okay. with all the different, mm-hmm. you know, all the markings so they know exactly. Those patterns you can this. download. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Those, you know those beautiful yeah, ones in the little yeah. bags with the cute little drawings on? Yes, yes. Um, okay. Yeah, so it's quite a, I mean, even that, just to get the first master pattern right, it's quite a process. So they usually mm-hmm. make a sample. We usually would go and source fabric that we would use for that production run because every fabric that we've used or utilized actually changes the, the pattern completely. So sometimes it looks really nice in one fabric and it doesn't really work in the other fabric. So it also, it's kind of dependent on that. So we usually, yeah, so say like for us, we use 100% linen or a linen rayon blend or whatever it is, and then create a sample from that. So we can then try it on, you know, see exactly how it's come out, if it's exactly how we envisioned it, if there's anything that needs to be changed, which often there is, you know, change the length or take in the sleeve or, you know, it doesn't fit quite as well or take a couple of buttons off. So that's kind of like the first step. And then, you create a second sample from that, mm-hmm. um, which then we obviously approve. And then from there you do grading. So our pattern, our master pattern, then you do like the sizing. So um, basically let's say at the moment we do from extra small to extra large. And mm-hmm. obviously we can do higher or yeah, we can add on to that if we need to. So yeah, that's kind of like the first step. And once we have those patterns, mm-hmm. then only then once you've decided, you know, you want to go into production, you go into production. Um, so then you get all the fabric. The fabric then gets cut, which is also How quite incredible. How do you get all process. the fabric? Like, what is the process I, of getting? Do you go to like the oh, metro wow. fabric store? Or like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I must say with sustainable fashion, the fabric it has to be probably the most tricky part mm. of the entire process. Um, especially just with like limited resources in terms of your 100% linens and more sustainable fabrics. Um, and then obviously there's also cost involved with that. And so like how much per meterage. Um, so yeah, it's taken us a while. We've tried quite a few different linen suppliers in South Africa. Yeah. We've now kind of settled and found one that we're using a bit more permanently now, um, just because the quality is most consistent and then price range is also, yeah, most one of the lesser scale. Um, and but yeah, I mean, it's like an interesting thing, I think, because Shan and I actually would love, which we have started slowly doing, we really want to do a lot more like upcycling. So as long as we'll have like our kind of capsule wardrobe pieces, which will be the linens, but we really want to start upcycling and sourcing dead stock fabrics, which mm. I think is such an like an untapped in market space here because so many fabric houses and places do not want to sell their dead end roll because they think it is more of a cutting cost rather than a sustainable thing mm-hmm. and um you know even with our suppliers that we've worked with when we've queried them they'll tell us about their like warehouses where they have, are full to the brim with like fabric yet they aren't willing to go and sort through them and sell them off and so it's probably like stacked, to the stacked like, three warehouses. It's so scary, and half of them have gone moldy from transportation. They don't. Why even do they keep fabrics? 
they they rent our space or buy space and just I mean it gets it so full sell. that they don't even look at. So yeah. we, I mean that's been a part of like kind of our process and we're hoping like the bigger we grow and the yeah. more maybe like contacts we make we can actually kind of tap into that because mm-hmm. it's amazing every single time we do speak to people about it. They're like, no, it just sits there. So we're like, well, can we come and like, you know, maybe buy a couple of rolls or go through it? Oh no, it's so it's so full. We just and we'll and we know what happens. It ends up being like put into a truck and thrown away, and then it gets refilled yeah. again. So that's, yeah, it also shows the mass amounts that actually are imported because, like, yeah. for instance, a couple of months ago we had fabric arriving. And it all got offloaded at the same time. And because they had so many roles, they physically could not find the fabrics that mm-hmm. they were looking for. So the warehouse was so fully stocked. Jeez. So I think even that, just for us conceptualizing how vast this industry is mm-hmm. and how many, you know, how many things are imported constantly. And yeah, just the scale of roles that aren't used and aren't utilized. It's, it's incredibly scary. It's been a mm-hmm. rabbit hole that we've gone down multiple times. And <laughs> yeah, there's just... I mean, even in terms of being in Cape Town, for instance, and the competition between, because obviously now there's a lot of sustainable, in inverted commas, brands popping up, um, everyone's utilizing the same suppliers because we don't always have access to fabrics. So often we'll like do a run and or we'll place an order and we can't get the fabric that we wanted. So, I mean, for us as a brand, we use very neutral, like you said, neutral tones, usually the same sort of compositions. We know that everything's of the same quality and that we can kind of keep to our standards and often we can't actually access it we don't you know we it's supposed to be arriving and a month later it still hasn't arrived so even that sure. sort of side of things is incredibly tricky yeah. the supply and demand yeah. for linen in south africa is so high and yeah. and i mean i also think even with our research i mean it's not even like we'd necessarily only want to use linen it's just there's such a shortage of sustainable brands also like selling so i think so many people even like start their businesses and if they have the means or the technology start making their own recycled fabrics but then it isn't accessible i mean it's just such a need for actual like either recycled fabrics or warehouses that sell um dead in stock or whatever it may be in terms mm-hmm. of like sustainability south africa's fabric side of things is yeah very very backwards and they're still a little bit behind i would say mm. there's such a need to kind of expand on that yeah. and the pricing's gone up as well so the manufacturing prices have gone up plus the fabric alone so you're looking still at importing everything yeah, so you're looking at i mean it's for us as a brand it's actually been a very scary realization that as much as we would love to use 100% linen only it's the prices have gone up so drastically that it's almost Jeez. unattainable it's, yeah. it's very mm-hmm. scary yeah. so so, yeah, I, I, I think wanna, that's, there's so many elements involved. Just, <laughs> mm, I want to try and bring us a little bit to, uh, back towards that, that end-to-end process. So we, <clears throat> we spoke a little bit at the beginning where you sort of kind of sketch out the concept until the point that you're happy with it. Then you sort of do this master pattern, which is sort of like a card, a piece of cardboard that's got all of the the, cut, the cuttings sort of drawn out. Um, and then you sort of start to actually source the fabric. Once you've got the like all of the fabrics available, what happens next? Like, is there a treatment process? Is there like, like, do you need to do something with the fabric once you have it? What does that look like? Yeah, so all, all our natural fabrics shrink quite a quite a drastic amount. So we have to pre-wash all the fabrics, um, use like an eco softening thing sometimes if it's necessary before mm-hmm. you actually start the process. Because otherwise, if you cut the garment and sew the garment, it'll probably shrink. I mean, a lot of mm. our fabrics a couple shrink. of centimeters, yeah, yeah. like wow. up to four centimeters, which is a lot. So, I think a lot of brands, wow. a lot of brands That's don't a actually hand size. <laughs> yeah, it is, and I think yeah. with a lot of us, including myself, up until we started working with linen, I mean how often do we really care for our laundry? So it already shrinks when you sometimes put it into the machine. And then on top mm-hmm. of that, if you have that shrinkage, it's just a nightmare. Yeah, so I think sometimes when we feel like our pants are a bit tighter or our clothes are a bit tighter, it's not actually you. It really is the fact <laughs> that, that they shrink. probably haven't been pre-shrunk and they really are shrinking in the wash. Mm. Um, but yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's a whole statement itself. Before you can even start the process, you've got to wait for the fabric to arrive. Then you've got to pre-wash it, which has to mm-hmm. be cut usually in like three meter um, stretches at a time. So you have a whole roll of fabric, which then needs to be pretty much deconstructed before you can actually wash it. Then it still needs to be ironed before you do it, because you obviously need the measurements to be perfect when you cut them. Mm-hmm. So before you've actually even cut the fabric, the whole process involved is 
Yeah, it's quite a process. Well, and um, I'm assuming each piece needs to be ironed and cut correctly because you can't just iron the one piece as a sample. It's every single piece. Yeah. So, yeah. so when you cut it, at least you know that everything is yeah. absolutely perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then, I mean, even the cutting process is, yeah. yeah. I mean, I take my hat off to the people that do it. I mean, you cutting out all your, at least you can do size by size, but I think that's like for us to do, I think even Chris and I, we do offer sort of once off or if someone wants a specific size or we're out of stock, we do do that sort of um, once off production. But in mm. terms of like making it worth for the people that are actually cutting it, it's a lot easier to do an actual order. So like at the moment, we probably do between 20 and 30 units at a time just to make sure it's efficient, make sure that the person behind who is actually cutting it isn't, you know, kind of taking all the time just to do one piece. It's a little bit more mm-hmm. time effective. Um, they know that there's a decent amount of work coming in. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, at the moment, our team ranges between four to six people or four to six women. Um, mm-hmm. So you've got the person cutting, you've got um, the seamstresses actually putting the garments together. There's someone ironing them, there's someone sewing on buttons. So it's, mm-hmm. I mean, even the, the button process is... We love a button. Love a button. <laughs> they don't love us for it, but we love a button. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why is the, the button a process? I'm just, um, from, from my ignorance, right, sewing a button onto um, my old school shirts when they popped off and... That was quite a simple process for me. <laughs> I think it's just in comparison to machine work. So everything else is yeah. done on an electronic, mm. electronic oh, machine. See, so you, it turns out a lot quicker. Whereas with the buttons, yeah. it's like each one gets hand done. And yes. it's a lot more like hands on, quite literally. Than what, yeah. yeah. Okay. Sure. Um, so, so we've kind of gone r- roughly until we've gone like, um, it seems like a garment is sort of coming into, into fruition now. Um, so once the sort of the cutting's been done, you've kind of put the, 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 the garment together and you've sewn on the buttons. I think one of the parts that I'm also a little bit interested in is like once there is a garment to the point that it actually gets to somebody's door, what does that look like? So there's a whole lot of conceptualization. Yeah. I mean, we normally come up with a strategy. We do a whole content shoot, whether we book a photographer, we do our photos ourselves. Um, kind of, yeah, find the right models and the right people that are in alignment, um, try to be as versatile as possible in terms Can of... Can you maybe use a specific garment as an example and take us through that process so we can hear a bit like, more of the specifics? Yeah, I actually, I mean, so with us, we've put a lot of thought even into our name. So a lot of it does come from Sanskrit with obviously us originating our brand from Bali. So each garment has a name that links to what we think the dress should embody or feel or look like or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it pays homage to the concept of the actual garment. So, for instance, we have the Ananda dress, which means like bliss, and it is tiered and beautiful and swirls with air and the poet should probably explain it a bit better but you know it should embody like the feeling of bliss um Mm -hmm. so with the ananda dress like everything about that was more about something that could be like with all of our dresses something that can be dressed up or dressed down so with our photo shoots we'll try and like mix up how to style it um but even with that i mean like i don't the the ananda dress is probably up to date being our most like conceptually technical with the buttons different sleeves it comes in like two different sleeves um yeah i don't it's like an interesting question like why we were even inspired i think you get we were looking at so many different dresses and garments and it was just something that came to i think something that was also versatile and beautiful and different you know something long sleeve and a short sleeve that you can have for different occasions it was also it kind of came just before winter, so it was quite a nice one to see you through seasons. Um, mm-hmm. And in terms of like, like Chris said, Ananda means bliss. So even the feeling of linen on your skin is like the most beautiful feeling. It's so soft and um, it's hypoallergenic and all these things. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, they're just the feeling of the actual linen on your skin all ties into the concept. Um, uh, there you got it, Ananda. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Yeah. And I mean, all the multiple tiers and the buttons and yeah, we just felt this whole, the whole feeling of, I don't know, like when you're a kid and you're swirling around Mm. in circles and you just feel so free and so like, you know, so happy. And we kind of wanted that to embody the entire experience of you in that dress. Mm -hmm. I can actually imagine somebody like walking through a field of like sunflowers or something (laughs) sort of twirling around. (laughs) And I, I I see what you guys mean by you love a button. <laughs> um, <laughs> love a button. <laughs> definitely a few buttons there. Um, but yeah, I'm just looking at new it, ranges um, also. Like I'm just seeing like with the the sort of the garment has got actually many different sections or I I, I don't know what the Handling. technical word is, but there there are a lot of different bands, especially in the bottom half of the dress, and even when I look at the sleeves, um, which is not, well, I mean, my, my knowledge of fashion is very limited, but I don't think it's a very typical thing to do, which is which is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing that I think I'd, I'd, I'd like to maybe touch on a bit, because it sounds to me like this is maybe where you guys really shine and bring a lot of value to the table, is around the conceptualization of the garment once it's actually complete. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, you, you spoke a little bit about, about this, this um, Ananda um, piece, but like, what what is it actually like? Or is, is there like, is is that sort of conceptualization and thinking process? Is it there from when you're initially conceptualizing the garment at the beginning before there's even a master um, master pattern, or is it sort of like you kind of go through the 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 sort of like groundwork of actually making the garment, and then you start from like a new like a blank slate when you're actually conceptualizing the photography, like what does that beginning and end sort of um, conceptualization look like? I think interestingly enough, like there's going to be an undertone of the same thing throughout, I think every range we do or every collection we do and a lot Mm -hmm. of our shoots. And that is, I mean, a lot of what we try and draw from is how, what we would want to wear in every day or how we live our everyday lives or where we could envision ourselves wearing the garments Mm -hmm. um so i mean i think it tends to one like a lot of the time the idea of the actual garment design springs up and then there's something about that idea we then link to the name which is why i think tying in sanskrit as being like such a beautiful language in itself and so expressive even just Mm -hmm. in the way you say the words and everything then that adds a different element and Mm -hmm. up to date now like a lot of our photo shoots and stuff have been quite spontaneous it's been in places that uh, we know about really well, or a lot of them have actually been in plates. So like all the farm ones, like Ken Birdie, which is a farm in plates, a lot at the beach. Um, it ends up being places that are special to us. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, even for instance, um, we're about to launch our new range, which is like coming into spring and we've basically conceptualized the entire thing. So the name means it's, it's called Samsara Collection which basically ties into the whole concept of the cycle of life and matter and existence and um, basically paying Mm -hmm. homage to the abundance of nature and the relationship between nature and community and the whole process involved. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, even in terms of tying into our upcycling, we'll Mm -hmm. have a couple of dresses that we're using our offcuts from previous collections. We'll be tying into that thing and having um, limited bespoke pieces that are you know, completely sustainable because you have, we're using off pads, so there's nothing going to waste. We're using mm-hmm. our natural fibers and we're creating something that's completely unique for whoever, you know, for someone to appreciate. So it really is paying homage to Mother Nature and, you know, to the cycle of life and trying to be, to come full circle in everything we do. And all our new garments, you know, are going to be, they all have these beautiful names that we've already con- conceptualized. So we kind of, I mean, we are dreamers. We have the most rabbit hole visions and go down all these tangents and think about everything to such an extent that I think every piece that we do eventually kind of comes into play. And it's kind of like a story. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And I think that's such a big part of our brand is storytelling and you know, making people feel something. And yeah, so... I think <laughs> it's it an incredible question. I yeah. think it's, you know, no one actually has ever asked us point blank the start to finish and how we conceptualize a garment in itself. I think it's so easy to explain mm. a brand and explain yeah. what our overarching, <laughs> you know, theme is. But I think it's an incredible thing. And no one's actually asked us that. And I think there is a lot of thought that goes into naming for where we have our photo shoots, what mm. we want the 
person wearing the garment to feel. So, yeah, there's lots a lot of storytelling. It's beautiful. Yeah, and even the Sanskrit names. I mean, that ties into the very beginning of why we started and how we started and sitting in Bali and being part of this beautiful culture, which we have so much love and deep respect for. So even that, I mean, it's it's not something that we've just airy fairy just wafted in and used a name because it sounds beautiful. It genuinely has deep meaning to <laughs> yeah. it, and it's something that we love people to understand that the, the fact yeah. that it isn't just something airy fairy. It really, you know, it's really a big part of why we started it. So that's yeah, really every, beautiful. From every little detail, we've we've tried to kind of tie everything in and make sure that it is as authentic as possible. It, it does, um, at least from my perspective, it does come across that way. And uh, that, again, ties back to, you know, it does feel like there's a lot of depth to the pieces that you guys are making and selling. Like you can, even if you just see the visual, it alludes to a lot more than just the garment. So um, it is really beautiful. And I'm really, I'm really impressed with the process you guys just shared. And it's it's so enlightening. Um, but we're almost getting to the closing part of the conversation and we've started uh, a new section at the end of the show where we ask you guys uh, a question that was written by one of our previous guests. And I think this worked out pretty perfectly because we saved the two questions from our two guests or the female duo we had from the Sustainability Fashion Boutique Mavericks or by Mavericks. And um, I'll first read Ellie's question, and maybe, Shan, we can start with you. You can answer it, and then, Kirst, you can answer it. So Ellie asks, if there is one thing you could tell yourself before starting your business, what would it be? I think be open to change. Be open to the organic process and allowing things to naturally fall into place. Obviously, you need your structure and you need the vision, but I think, yeah, there's so many elements that are going to, surprise you along the way um so yeah being open to the fact that you know it is ever evolving and there's it's a beautiful process not to maybe be tunnel vision on the end goal but allowing beautiful people to come into play and different visions or different insights or whatever it is yeah just being i suppose being open mindful um open-minded and being mindful mm. so first um, recently, actually, there was an element of like fear that came up with us, or we just discussed what fear means in business. And I think mine would be that not to allow fear to dictate your next move and almost to use it as a strength and a driving force to kind of get over that hurdle. And I think especially with startups and businesses, um, there's going to be those moments where you kind of fear what the next step is or certain things aren't coming, but just actually just if you put in the time and effort and you truly to your core believe in what you're doing, yeah. rather don't like push aside the fear and just dump in with both feet and allow the nice. person. Cause the worst <laughs> is that maybe something fails and you can just try again and actually to embrace minor doses of failure. Cause it's always going to happen. Nice. I love that. All right. Yeah. And then yeah, uh, second, driving force. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> then the second question was from Maddie. And Maddie asked, what is the biggest piece of advice you've been given? Let's start with Shan again. The biggest piece of advice? Um, sure. Well, probably that, actually, to not allow <laughs> fear to stifle you, but allow it to drive you. I think that's it's a beautiful mm. thing. That's good kind of advice. encapsulates what it's all about. <laughs> so thanks. <laughs> um, the best advice I would say is to trust my instincts. I think I was told not to shy away when I'm feeling something and to actually speak my word and to voice in moments what I'm thinking and feeling. So yeah, it's not just press that inner voice and that gut that we're all blessed mm-hmm. with to kind of go with that in situations. And I mean, yeah, even Shan and I in like our business now, we've had moments where afterwards we're like, but we had a little moment where we thought that, you know, that person maybe wasn't going to be the best or, oh, we walk out and you're like, yes, that was amazing. Just to like trust those, they definitely tell you yeah. something. I'd like to trust that gut feeling. It always sure. leads you somewhere. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, That's amazing. 
Um, I just wanted to mention one of the themes that that typically comes up on the podcast is this idea of following your intuition. And it's just Mm -hmm. so, so like harmonious that that's kind of like one of the ideas that we end on. And I think it's something that's so important um, as, as fellow creatives. Um, But I think, I think that that sort of brings us to some of the closing stages of this, of this discussion. Um, maybe before we do wrap things up, would you mind just letting letting everyone know where they can kind of like follow you guys and maybe also if they're interested in purchasing some of your garments, where they can find that? Yeah, so at the moment, um, we have our own online platform and we are part of a couple of different online platforms, Aram, Shop Parks, Aya Africa, a platform called Luntu, Local Thread. I think that's all of them. And recently, Urban Experience. Yeah, Urban Experience. We're about to join Azor. Um, And then currently, our store spaces are at the foundation in Meisner. Um, We have been in Salt. We've taken a break for the winter, but hopefully we'll be back in there for spring. And then, yeah, in Cape Town, we've been part of the Storytellers Collective and the VNA Waterfront. They are closed for renovations at the moment. Um, But yeah, hopefully that'll all be up and running soon. Spent in there. Yeah, spend some May in KZN. Um, that's yeah, we we joined that about a month and a half ago. So sure. yeah, we're slowly working our way around the country. <laughs> and if they would like to buy from you directly or follow you on social, where can they find you? Uh, at dawn to dusk underscore collections on Instagram, and then mm-hmm. our website is www.dawntodustcollections.com. Otherwise, um, yeah, and all the websites, our personal numbers are there, our email addresses. Um, and like we said, if you can't order or if something isn't available online, directly message us and we are more than happy to do like custom pieces or take people's orders. Nice. As a slow fashion brand, yeah, we do keep quite limited stocks on our back end. So never mm-hmm. feel shy to message <laughs> if you do enjoy anything. <laughs> that is really good to know. <laughs> Well, guys, uh, really uh, big thanks for your time and taking us through the extensive process that have taken years now for you guys to, well, a few years for you to get into to master from the beginning to to the very end. It's been it's been really nice talking to you on a personal level about more um, personal topics as well as actually uh, learning about the process of making a piece of clothing. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for your time and inviting us onto your podcast. It's been a wonderful meeting with two of you and having the space to speak about what we do. Amazing. Thank you for taking Amazing. so much interest in what we do as well. Mm-hmm. And asking such incredible yeah. questions. Thank you. Like, you really made us think and reflect on our process, which we haven't, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess we don't have to do often. So it was amazing. It's so yeah. special Food for thought. someone you know, also dive into it kind of on a different wavelength, but also to that extent. Yeah, definitely. And it is an important part of your process as entrepreneurs and business owners. But there you have it, guys. Uh, thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next week.